0: Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us about your wild conspiracies. conspiracies. It's on.
1: It's now. It's here. The Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 94.9 KDXU, Southern Utah's news talk leader. Good morning to you. A little bit cloudy, but not a lot cloud. It's going to be a sunshiny, gorgeous 74-degree day in Utah's Dixie. Looking forward to that. Uh, A couple of items of business to start off the program. Number one, the impossible question of the day answer. I had some requests. Hey, can you give the answer a couple of times during the morning? Uh, The impossible question of the day today was uh, about 9 out of 10 parents say it's not really Christmas until they buy this. A lot of good guesses today. Christmas tree, uh, presents, uh, house decorations, eggnog. The answer, though, was uh, batteries for all those toys and and things that you have. It's not really Christmas until you buy all the batteries. That's that's the answer. Uh, Also, coming up on the program today, uh, this is in about 20 minutes from right now, we're going to hear from a guy who... uh, Now, here's a guy. Uh, we're going to hear from a guy who's if I, let me get to the right page here uh his name is Rick Cole C O L E uh he's a reverend uh he's a reverend of a very large church in northern california sacramento area and uh rick cole has written a book and you know it, it, uh, i guess everybody writes a book nowadays it seems like but uh He chronicles his experience as a homeless person. Now, he wasn't really homeless, which maybe, I don't know, maybe that taints your study a little bit. But uh, he, for two weeks, he gave up all his earthly possessions and he went and lived with the homeless for two weeks. And uh, he he said all the assumptions, all the things that we think about the homeless are mostly wrong. And so he's going to talk to us about that. Uh, i th- i think it's going to be a fascinating conversation uh fascinating and, and it's about 20 minutes uh, from right now we'll talk with uh Rick Cole i'm i'm actually looking quite forward to it never met him this is going to be a cold call first time we ever chat will be uh you know right right here on the radio in front of you so uh, i think it's going to be uh, i think it's going to be pretty fascinating all right i wanted to go back to and now that i switched off the right file page here i got to switch back to uh, the other page that tells me about what I was going to talk about today. And uh, I can't find it at the moment. So we'll, we'll get to it in a minute. Uh, there was a study put out. Uh, it, it was a, a survey of our school kids here in Utah. And I want to say the number was 7,000 kids. I think it was 7,000 statewide. And these were kids in, it was weird the way they broke it down. Sixth grade, eighth grade, 10th grade, and 12th grade. So six. 6, 8, 10, and 12, and uh, it's it's called the SHARP study, and SHARP stands for, and I'll get you that in just a second, uh, Student Health and, oh shoot, where did it go? Well, I'm going to have to do, the, I'm going to have to get back to, I, I changed pages to tell you about Rick Cole, and now I can't find the original page that tells me all about the uh, SHARP study. Uh, I'm going to click on a couple of links here and see if we can figure out where it went. Uh, by the way, gas prices are down in Utah, about one tenth of a cent. And you say, "What? How is that going to help me?" It, it's probably not going to help you a whole lot, but at least they're down. Uh, it, that's good news. Bad news is Utah is one of the top ten highest paid, uh, highest paying gas prices in the in the country. The average in the country is three forty, in Utah it's three seventy three, and in Saint in Washington County it's three seventy eight. So we have the pleasant. Uh, pleasant uh, idea that we get to pay more for gas than anybody else in the state and uh, more for gas than anybody else in the country with the exception of a few states, California leading the way. I think it's 460 a gallon in average in California. So I guess it could be worse. We'll look on the bright side of life, right? All right, now back to the Sharp study. I found it. I found the right tab. It was, and I, I get always get lectured by the engineer. You got to close some of those tabs because on I have uh, four browser windows open, and in each browser window there's at least ten tabs open, and in my main browser window there's one. To, well, there's about twenty. Uh, but I found it. It's uh, the Student Health and Risk Prevention Survey. Uh, they uh, again surveyed about seven thousand students statewide. And uh, I did a story about it. It came out last week, maybe two weeks ago. I did a story about it and uh, didn't receive one comment uh, from anyone, from uh, listeners, from people that I work with. They were all just kind of like, yeah, so what? But I thought it was significant. Listen to some of these numbers. Uh, let's see. First of all, the survey consisted of forty-seven 47.6 male, 52% female. We'll get to that uh, in a minute. Uh, in, in southwest Utah, so that's the five counties. You want to talk about the five, five counties. This is a, the, the kind of, they break it down into the counties and areas. Our five counties would be Washington County, Iron County, Kane, Beaver, and Garfield counties. Okay, so the five counties in southwest Utah. Uh, 48.5% male, 51.5% female. Uh, they asked these kids, uh, and again, this was a survey. They didn't have to tell the truth. This was a survey, but it was an anonymous survey, so they, uh, they, they, uh, they tried to make it safe enough so they could feel like they could tell the truth if, in fact, they wanted to. Uh, in Utah, the entire state of Utah, uh, 80% white, 11.7% Hispanic, and, uh, let's see, 4% multiracial. But in Washington county, that number is seventy six percent white, and uh, we actually have fifteen percent Hispanic or latino in in uh, the five counties down here. surprised me a little bit i don't i don't know what it says or what it means, but it surprises me a little bit. Then they asked the kids now remember it, by the way it was it was uh, the total number for the state was um, I think it was 53,000 in the state, 7,000 in Southwest Utah. Uh, and they asked them, uh, what's the following best describes you? That was the question on the survey. Which of the following best describes you? Heterosexual, gay or lesbian, bisexual or not sure other. In Utah, 86% of... Respondents said they were heterosexual, which means that 11, 12, 13.9%. 13.9% said they were either gay, lesbian, bisexual, or other not sure. Those numbers are bigger than than has been in the past. Uh, But then you go into Washington County, and this might surprise you just a little bit. In Washington County, of the thousands of respondents, uh, 82.9% of our kids, 6, 8, 10, and 12th graders, said 82.9% said they were heterosexual. 2%, that's, that's national average, 2% said they were gay or lesbian. But a whopping 8.1% said they were bisexual and 7.1% said they weren't sure or they were other. I don't know what other means, but uh, meaning that 17.2% of kids responding said they were something other than heterosexual. Now, you, you look at the survey, you go, okay, it's a survey, and you're talking about 6th graders and 8th graders and maybe even 10th graders. Uh, they're going to respond. They're going to try to be funny or cute or stupid. Or I mean, I was 14 once, right? You don't take these surveys seriously, I don't think. And so you might put just for fun, hey, I'm going to put, I don't know. <laughs> that's going to be funny. Everybody's going to think that's great. And so, you know, and so you, you, with every survey, there's always a plus minus, right? Error, whatever. Uh, I think you can exaggerate that a little bit with this one because you've got 12 and 14 year old boys, mostly girls too, sometimes who are going to go, well, it's an anonymous survey and I think this would be kind of funny and maybe I can screw with the numbers and some guy in Southern Utah will talk about me on the radio. Uh, So I'm going to put other or bisexual because I'm buddies with my friend and, and uh, yeah we could yeah we could we could totally hang out together but still all right even if you go minus i don't know 4% that still leaves in southern utah okay so i had 17.2% that means 13% maybe 12% uh, of our kids are are saying they're gay by or questioning how do you feel about that number what what does that make you think of are you angry are you happy they'll admit it are you uh, as a parent do you feel like you did something wrong or you did something right i'm curious to get your thoughts on this the phone number is 6735890 if you want to call in it's 435 area code 67358 Nine zero. I'm just typing in my passcode, too, while I'm talking on my phone. If you want to text me, 435-467-5842 is the text line here at KDXU. There were some other things in that survey, you know, just a number of kids. I think it, I, I'm getting down to the I think it was 70,000 statewide 70,000 statewide were surveyed, not seven, 70,000. So it was a pretty big survey. But again, if you you start delving into the, especially the sixth and eighth graders, right? If you're a sixth and eighth grader and you're given a, I don't know, a survey that says, hey, you know, how do you feel about this? You're going to, not all of them, but I would say a percentage of them of just the 6th and 8th graders, middle schoolers, are going to go, and I think I'm going to be funny on this. I think I'm going to type something that is going to raise some eyebrows. I think I'm going to fill out one of those little, the little oval boxes you have to color in. I think I'm going to fill one of those in in rainbow colors. One one of the things that uh, we've talked about on this program, and, and we'll get back to that. If you want to call and comment on that, we'll get to get back to that in just a minute. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I really feel like is important that we talk about on this program, and I think a lot of you w- will agree, is, is the ability to disagree better. Uh, and, and I know some of you were mad at John Pike when he stepped down. But one of the things he said that I really liked was... Uh, we can agree to disagree. We can not have the same opinion as our neighbor, and and still be okay with them. And, and you know that that kind of resonated with me because I was kind of like, well, you know, if 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 how can you possibly have that opinion? How can you how can you think that way? And, and sometimes we, I, I think I think we all get that way occasionally. How can you think that way? And, and then. If you start feeling that way, then you start thinking, well, if you're stupid enough to think that way, why should I be your friend? Why should I treat you with respect? And we get, we get into that. And I have a relative of mine who has, uh, I would say, 95% of political uh, feelings that I have, uh, this relative of mine has the opposite feeling. And we struggled with that for a while. Because, you know, we're we're family. We're supposed to be friends. We're supposed to love each other and hang out with each other and stuff like that. But uh, I had, you know, I I had a hard time because I felt that exact same way. I was like, "Ah, if you could think that way, how can you possibly even, you know, breathe the same air that I'm breathing? Come on. You're so, uh, I'm not going to use the word stupid, but I I would think those things. And, And so. It took a long time, a decade maybe or more, to realize that, you know what, it's okay. I still love you. I just, you know, I don't agree with you. But I have to be tolerant of you because that's that's what it's all about. All right, looks like we're getting some phone calls and some texts in. So let's uh, let's go to the phone lines first. Hey, thanks for calling on the program. What's on your mind?
2: Um, on this gay, bisexual, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a form of rebellion against parents, against any authority. Mm -hmm. They, especially in junior high, maybe high elementary, sixth grade, and that one day they'll wake up when they get in their maybe 20s and say, well, that was a stupid thing to do. I just think it's a, a form of, of rebellion, a shock to to the parents and and others. That's what I think it is.
1: You think it's just acting out to kind of say, hey, you know, I don't have to do what you say, that, that kind of attitude?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to be, I'm just going to be different.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs>
1: play. You are so right about that. All right. Thanks for the call. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have a 17 year old daughter and she hasn't, you know, none of that LGBTQ stuff for her, but she has, you know, she has made it clear that there are some things that I hold dear and I believe. And she's, you know, I, I'm not that way. I'm, I'm not going to listen to you. I don't, I don't feel like that, dad. I, I don't agree with you. And so uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. All right. Let's, I'm going to read a couple of texts now. Uh, let's see. In regards to the survey, this is a text that came on, no name attached, but uh, it said uh, there are most likely kids who would say they aren't LGBT in fear of being honest and being found out. That's interesting. It was an anonymous survey. But, uh, yeah, there's probably some, I call it shading. There's probably a little bit of shading or jading. of. of well, I'm not going to answer the truth because what if somebody sees me coloring that dot? It makes sense. Here's another text. Uh, about what you're talking about last year, our daughter was in a certain school and she would bring up the different and sexualities and stuff a lot. Like it was discussed at school. We do not have her in this school this year and have noticed that it's not on the forefront of her thought process anymore. There's definitely more liberal leaning principles out there. Good point. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was some talk of, uh, You know, back in the old Tuacon school, that uh, that was, you know, that was more likely to be talked about, even discussed in class as a class topic. And, uh, you know, the old. Well, I'm not I'm like I got to be careful where I step here because I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get picketed. I don't want to get fired. But uh, I know that at at the old Tuacon high school, there was, you know, it was it was. A significantly higher percentage of kids considered themselves LGBTQ, question mark, et cetera, than in a regular school. And you could say, well, that's the that's the uh, theatrical mindset. Maybe, maybe it was, you know, the certain kind of kids that are gravitate gravitate toward acting. Maybe, or maybe it was all a misconception. Maybe it wasn't true. I don't know. Great question. All right, let's go back to the phone lines. Hey, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Hello. Yeah, that's you. Go ahead.
2: Let's go, Brandon.
1: <laughs> I don't have a shirt, but I, I can I can uh, every time I put gas in the tank, I, I it crosses my mind for sure.
0: Have a good day. All
1: right, thanks. I I thought he would have more to say than that. Let's go, Brandon. Uh, I had earlier today. I had Rory O'Neill from NBC Radio on. And uh, Rory is, uh, he's old school journalist. He's about my age. And so he's been around the block a few times. He's an old school journalist. And uh, I asked Rory flat out, I said, Rory, did the president really fall asleep at the climate summit? And he was like, well, he closed his eyes for a bit and was resting. He just just got off on an airplane and he closed his eyes a bit. <laughs> Rory trying very careful to split it down the middle and not say, well, I have no proof that he was sleeping. But uh you know, you, you hear Sean Hannity doesn't mince words, right? He's on our on our on our station here one to four every afternoon. And uh Sean Hannity talks about the fact that our president right now is a laughing stock. Other countries look at the leader of the United States of America, and they find it humorous. The whole Let's Go Brandon movement, the whole uh, uh, falling asleep uh, in meetings, the whole not able to string three sentences together and have all three of them be coherent. And it's, uh, it's become a bit of an international joke, our president. That's not how it's supposed to be. All right. Back to the phone line. Hey, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Is this me? Yeah, that's you. Go ahead. Hey, uh, I was just thinking about the
2: survey you was talking and thinking back when I was a kid. Of course, I'm 70 years old now, so (laughs) things have changed. Yeah. But uh, how many of these kids actually know the definition of the words they're reading on the survey? Mm, I know they know all the slang words. Right you know, that we use as kids. But you get a medical term put up and, uh,
1: and on a survey, do they actually know what they're reading and knowing what they're answering? That's a good point. That's a good point. And I would submit that not, not all of them do for sure. Although you and I are up there in years, we probably maybe maybe they, they know more than we think. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, you know, it's it's more prevalent
2: thing nowadays. Uh, the conversation is bigger, and you'd say, well, gee, why wouldn't they know about it? But I would render to say, I mean, some of my grandkids that are 12 and 13 years old, they know every name of every basketball player in the NBA. <laughs> but you ask them what a bisexual or heterosexual, you ask them those terms, they might not even know what it means. Uh, good point. Good point. All right. Anyway, that was, a, that was my thought. I Surveys, I don't put much in surveys.
1: Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. I, I, you know, he makes a good point. Surveys, yeah, take what you want from surveys. I really feel like, honestly, uh, especially the younger kids that were surveyed, uh, like he said, maybe they didn't know what it means. Maybe they knew what it means but thought it would be funny. I mean, come on. You, you want to make a 12-year-old laugh, what do you joke about? You joke about, you know, farts and stuff like that. That's what, may, that, that's what entertains a 12- to 13- to 14-year-old boy. And and they're going to laugh and laugh and laugh when it comes to stuff like that. And if they're taking they sit they sit them down and they're taking a survey about heterosexuality and transgenderism, they're probably going to be like, oh, this is kind of funny. Hey, how about I screw their survey up and put this answer down? Maybe I'm not giving the 12 to 14 year old boys enough credit, but that's kind of how I feel. Uh, 9.30 on KDXU, we've got a guest coming up, Reverend Rick Cole, in just a couple of minutes. Welcome back, Andy Griffin with you live, 9.34 on KDXU, and I'm uh, happy to announce that Reverend Rick Cole is on the phone line with me this morning. Hi, uh, Reverend, how are you?
0: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on today.
1: And you want me to call you Reverend or Rick or Mr. Cole or what would be best? Yeah. <laughs>
0: you know what? I'm really comfortable just going with Rick. Let's keep it. Let's keep it friendly.
1: Awesome, awesome. This is the Andy Griffin show. Thanks for spending a few minutes on on the show. I got an email. I don't know, maybe three, four days ago. Uh, yeah. That, that uh, talked about your new book and talked about uh, you spending a little time amongst the homeless people. And I thought, oh, what a great story. And so I thought, yeah. well, let's see if I can get a hold of uh, Reverend Cole and Rick and, and see uh, if he can tell us a little bit about his story. First of all, the name of the book
0: The book's name is Incarnate Jesus Among the Broken. Okay. So it's kind of a, yeah, it has a, a different twist on it. Um, the word incarnate is actually kind of a theological word of how Jesus came and came into our world in human form and incarnated and understands us because he went through everything we go through and we can relate to him because he relates to us. So somebody said this word to me when I was living among the homeless for a couple of weeks, we were trying to raise awareness for some homeless issues and raise some funding even to address some of the needs. The idea came, what if I went and lived on the streets for a couple of weeks and experience homelessness, see what that's like, and do a social media campaign. And and, um, it was actually quite an experience that people came alongside. We raised funding that was needed and raised awareness. But in the middle of it, it impacted me in a way I didn't expect. And somebody said the word to me, incarnate. Just as I was explaining my experience to them, I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, that's what you did. You went and lived among homeless people, and you, you probably understand a little bit more than others would because because of that. So that's where the title came from, incarnate and trying to understand how Jesus came to live among the broken. What can we do to understand the brokenness of people around us?
1: Talk, talk to me, if you will, Rick, for a minute about the approach leading up to, to this experience. because. Uh, Generally speaking, people go, okay, homeless, we're talking about drug use, we're talking about violence, we're talking about, you know, just dirty, grimy, not having food to eat. Yeah. I mean, all those things come into our minds. We're like, I don't think I would want to do that. That sounds a little bit scary. <laughs> were, you, were you a little bit worried about right. it? Uh,
0: one thing, one provision we made, I didn't want to be foolish jumping into this. So at night, I had two or three men from my church that I have a relationship with, that would come out at night. They'd leave work at the end of the day, come and join me. So during the night, I I didn't feel like it would be safe for me to just be by myself. Mm -hmm. So we had two two or three people that we found a spot in an alley and just laid sleeping bags out, found where other people go. You know, it was part of the journey is asking homeless people, where do you go? You know, what do you do? And we did that. So it was a, it was a experience of trying to, make it as legitimate as possible though I knew I could go home any day at the same time I wanted to live on the pavement like they do and yet I had a a bit of security in the sense of knowing I'm not here alone during the night during the day they'd go back to work and I'd be on my own and that felt safe in the daylight but at night certainly I wouldn't want to do it by myself
1: when when you uh, learned and experienced that. Uh, I'm sure your perception changed about a lot of things. What would you say, and I know this is a hard question, but what would you say is the number one or number two things, the top things you learned that we don't understand about about the homeless?
0: I found that there's layers to it for sure. I think we get an image of the homeless kind of at the severe level of it. Mental illness, there's mm-hmm. a ton of that. Then there's a drug addiction and alcohol addiction that can strip people down and and they can lose a lot through those addictive behaviors. And then there's just some people that, you know, normal, they lost a job and they were living kind of close to the margins and found themselves not able to pay the rent. So there's a lot of layers, and some people are easier to help because they still have their reason and such. Others have been out there for so long, they've actually lost all hope. And we tend to think, man, they just need to go get a job. They, they got themselves in this problem. Yeah. Why don't they get themselves out of it? They're living off my taxes. And I can get into a complaining you know, mentality about it. And I think what ch- changed me probably, what affected me, is I was sitting with them, asking them their stories. It caused me to actually see the humanity that's still inside of them and the hope got stripped away, and they really can't help themselves. I I think I came to that realization. They don't have the strength in themselves anymore. It just kind of got stripped away. And if there's somebody that can come along and not give them just a handout, handouts don't really help that much. Uh, They're just going to waste it. But if a hand up, if we can make a connection and lead a person from one step into the next and try to stay with them, with services that will help them, you know, get from point A to point B, then there is hope. We, we have to supply the hope for them. I think that's what I found. And instead of having a critical attitude about them now, even I see people, some of them are still not you know, able to be helped, but I still have a feeling of compassion for them. Like, man, life dealt them a lot of, a lot of challenges and they lost their hope, but they're still human and there's still something in them that has value. And I will will become less critical and and more hopeful that, you know, one person at a time, what can we do maybe to make a difference?
1: Yeah, for sure. I want to talk more about hope in a second, but I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that there were some people that were – they were living close to the margins. In, in other words, they were. It was a razor's edge between being homeless and being, you know, having an apartment and working a job. How yeah. close are? How close are some people? I mean, is that a reality? I mean, I have a son who's mortgaged up to his ears. You know, he's got a six hundred thousand dollars house and he's got a, a fifty thousand dollars trailer and all this. Thing. If he were to lose his job, I, I can't even imagine. He, he might end up there, right?
0: That's part of the challenge. It's part of the makeup of our society right now. And I think there's a lot of people that are that close. Uh, There's most people in those situations have family that they can rely on. Mm. I think it's when people have lost the connection to their family or they've wounded, you know, members of their family, things like that where they don't have anywhere to turn. Those are the ones that end up typically on the street. Sometimes people, you know, Bump up against those margins, but still have enough relationship that somebody's going to be there to kind of sustain them through the trial, yeah, uh, but there's some people that don't have that
1: let's let's go back to hope now you you made an interesting comment, Rick, in that they had lost hope, and I always have felt like well everyone's got hope right it's it's always there yeah. for you. But uh, I, I'm just thinking about some of those people that you, you came across who, who had lost hope. Is it because they had nowhere else to turn? Is it because they tried so hard for so long and, and kept failing that they just finally gave up?
0: Yeah. One of the things I experienced in only two weeks, you know, I spent 14 days in this experience. By the time I got into the middle of the second week, I felt really drained. You don't get good sleep, sleeping on the pavement. Even having a couple guys with me, there were some sketchy moments where people are walking by in the middle of the night making noise. You wake up startled. I had people asking me if we had any pot, any drugs, you know, for them. And yeah. those things shake you in in the moment. And um, I never got into a situation where I felt really terribly at risk. But you, you don't get good rest. You don't get good nutrition. Like I was led to where I can go get food, loaves and fishes, a Catholic organization. They feed people every day. Mm -hmm. I could go there, but you're not getting good nutrition typically, and you're not getting good rest. And I had my full faculties and I could leave any moment. And I felt really emotionally drained. And I started to get the feeling like, if this is what I had to do, I think I could easily lose my hope. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if, if I'm out here for two more weeks, 30 days, 45 days, I think it drains people of the strength that you know most of us find when we get rest, when we get nutrition, and we've got friends, people to do life with. When people start losing that, it's amazing how quickly hope drains out. I think that's one of the things I found.
1: I was a, a teenager in the 80s. I remember a song by Bruce Hornsby where he talks about, uh, you know, giving people hope. And he, he, he says a, a, a guy, a Wall Street guy walks by a homeless lady and just for fun, he says, get a job. Why is it not yeah. that simple, Rick?
0: Man, that's such a good question. That's what I've thought so much. I, I, here in Sacramento, Cesar Chavez Park is right downtown, right next to City Hall. Mm-hmm. And it's right in the middle of a business business section. I've been by that park so many times, walking over to City Hall, having a meeting at the mayor's office. And I walked by homeless people and didn't even really notice them in a sense. Like, they weren't a concern to me. I just want to get where I'm going. Right. Then these two weeks, I, I hunkered down in that park. And that's all I saw were the homeless people and starting to learn their story, try to find out what's happening. And they're not thinking about, man, I should go get a job. They don't even have that thought in their mind. All they're thinking about is where am I going to sleep tonight? And where am I going to get my next meal? And they're just in this base level survival mentality and they get used to it. And some, some people, now that becomes their lifestyle. Um, they don't have even the desire to change their way, and I think what happened for me was realizing that somebody's going to need a person to come into their life and start working with them to help them see that there is a better way. They can't see it themselves. We need to help one another. We need to help others regain that sense of vision. Sometimes people have just lost it, and they don't have it within them to get it back, even if I wish they would, expect them to, want them to they are not going to get it unless somebody is there to build a a bridge. And I think that's really what I learned from it. And we can't help everybody. Here's an illustration I think I found. I've heard it before where there's a bunch of starfish washed up on the beach. The guy's walking by and taking one and throwing it back in the ocean. And there's so much you can't fix the problem. But he's saying to his friend, I just helped that one. Hmm. I made a difference for that one. And to me, homelessness is a bit like that. It's such a huge problem. We feel paralyzed to figure it out. But what about that one? I just changed the way the life for that one. Yeah. And I feel like if we all catch that kind of spirit, uh, I have friends that have started pausing and talking to homeless people near their office, you know, business and such that have told me because of my story and my experience, they started to see people differently and they're starting to build friendships and bridges with the hopes that maybe I can help this person find a pathway back into mainstream of life. So I feel like more of us that capture that heart that says, man, I, at least I can care and not just demean the person out, out of pocket. Like I don't even know them. I don't know their story, but I don't look on them, you know, very well. What if I just stop and say, man, I wonder what their story is? And they're really a precious soul. I started seeing value in people that had lost their way entirely, and that was unexpected. I really didn't expect to walk away from that experience with that. It changed me.
1: You're, you're a reverend in, in a pretty large church. Uh, you say it changed you. How did it change the way you preach, the way you uh, oh. lead your flock?
0: Such a great question. I think I have changed some of my approach where sometimes in preaching, you know, I'm delivering a message to our congregants on a Sunday, and it's easy to kind of preach at people. Here's what you need to do. And we paint the picture of what, you know, what people do in their behaviors that aren't healthy and, you know, what what to do better at. I think what I see now is I'm not trying to tell people what to do as much as find, finding even the message of hope there. Like people that have come, they're broken too. People that come and sit in my church, who knows what they're going through? There's marital issues, there's family challenges, there's job challenges. I feel a lot more compassion even for my own congregants in church of like, hey, whatever you're going through right now, we're here to say we're in this together. You're valuable. No matter how much you feel hurt, God loves you, and he wants to help you, and I want to help you. So instead of putting anybody, I feel like I've changed my view of people that we're all broken. What can I do to value you for where you're at oh, yeah. and hopefully paint a picture of, we can, we can make some progress. We can make some growth. I'm not preaching at people. I feel like I'm trying to help people come underneath people and lift them up, lift their hope quotient up differently and and provide a message of hope instead of a message of condemnation. I think that's a big part of it.
1: I love it, yeah. Um, You know, Jesus, and I don't want to turn this into a sermon, this is a radio show, but Uh, but Jesus ministered among the poor people. Uh, He spent most of his time during his ministry among the poor. Why do you think that is?
0: That is his heart. Like, he made us all in his image, and we've lost our our imprint of the beauty of who he is and who he's made us to be. And I think Jesus always is wanting to resurrect that in people that have been beaten down and, you know, find themselves in a, in a hard place. And he talks about that. The Bible is full of references to when we help the poor, we're doing this to the least of these. We've done it mm-hmm. unto Jesus himself, right? It's amazing. Like, we, we should be treating the hurting person like we would treat Jesus. Like, it's a hard thing to get in our mind, but that's what he taught, and that's what he modeled. He was great at getting with people that the religious people were against. In fact, they said to him, what are you doing eating with those people? Like, that's who I came for. I came to help people that are hurting. And if we have that in our heart, then I think we help elevate our whole society. We, we begin to humanize the broken of our world and love on them. It, it will elevate the value and, and the purpose of our being here.
1: You made the comment uh, kind of in publicizing your book, you talk about being, he says, I wasn't just wrong. I was wrong in layers. What does that yeah. mean? I
0: think uh, I experienced the the layers of how I viewed other people without knowing them. And I, I just had this initial impression of what these people needed to do and what they were like. And when I started to understand who they were, I saw the the layers kind of like I described the layers of homelessness from mental illness to addictions, to job loss. Those are layers of where people are coming from. Hmm. And I think in life experience, people are at various places in life in layers. And so trying to help people. I feel like I was affected how I was wrong in layers of how I view all kinds of people. Our world right now is filled with so much division. It's unbelievable. The in the political divisions, there's I I don't know, the divisions on how to handle COVID. It's like so endless and it feels impossible, but there's just layers to all these things. I think I'm trying to strip away for myself the judgments. I've got judgments in layers. Let me just start from ground zero, take away these layers of how I'm viewing others and humanize everybody and value everyone. And then let's see if we can get to know each other. we got to find a pathway to come together.
1: I like what I like what you said there at the end. Humanize everybody because it's easier for us to not act Christ-like if we just dehumanize them. Oh, it's just a homeless homeless guy. He's on drugs. I'm not even going to think about him.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So. I had one of my uh, congregants called me two days ago. They were at a gas station. It was a a, a lady with her husband. They went to have a gas station. Two teenage girls, 14 years old, came up to them asking for money and she felt alarmed at first, but then started conversing, found out these two 14 year olds were homeless and she started engaging with them, trying to figure out their story. Now she calls me to say, found out that they've been in the children's receiving home and at that children's receiving home, they can check themselves out and no one will do anything about it. And she said, they told me if we can find a foster home, we can help these two girls this congregant told me I wouldn't have done this six months ago. It's because of your story and what you've shared that I've started seeing these girls different. And now she's appealing to me. Is there anything we can do within our sphere of influence to find someone that could take these two 14 year old girls in? because they're in such a dark place right now, we need to find some hope. So that was just the, that happened to me two days ago. And it feels like it's a result of some of the things I've experienced that I'm trying to share.
1: I love it. Now, uh, Rick, I, I always like to, we, we talk about problems and, and issues and things that we have in life. Always on my program, I try to figure out some solutions now. It, do you have some advice for us? And we'll talk about your book some more in a second too. But do you have some advice for us so that we can be more like that? How can we do what is right and not what is easy?
0: Mm. To me, it really starts with a heart change, you know, being in, beginning to view people different, I don't want to put any kind of trip on anyone of what, you know, someone needs to do. Um, that it's not a guilt trip thing that I feel. It's like, we're all in a journey on a journey. We're going to find our way in different stages. So I think it's just a heart change at first. Mm. Then we're trying to work with our, uh, our community right now. I'm in conversation with our County. The County has some funding for homelessness and, and the problem is so huge. We have some property where our church is. We have four acres that's undeveloped and we're in conversation with the county. They have some funding to put some tiny homes on the property and we have volunteers that will come alongside and walk with people. We're trying to find a partnership between the government and the faith community. Sometimes we see ourselves as separate and we don't find the way to how we can cooperate. I really feel like if we as a faith community can come to the, the government instead, it's often we just badmouth the government. They're just people, too, trying to do a job. So we're in a relationship with our county leaders. We're looking to start a tiny home village on our property, starting with 50 tiny homes. And then we can bring some job training. We can bring some care, some concern. There'll be rules and everything, security and everything that goes with it but we can find a way to help people right now 50 we can add another 50 and see what we can do. And others that, you know, come alongside to do the same. We need some partnerships between what the government has in their supply and what just people of goodwill have people of faith, people of nonprofit, you know, working in nonprofits. I believe that we can get more synergy when we work together, And we even need to stop speaking so poorly about one another, even if it's the faith community talking poorly about the government. We need to stop that and say, hey, we love the services that we have from our city leaders. What can we do to build friendships and come together? I'm finding that we're having some synergy in that even right now.
1: I love it. All right. Uh, Incarnate Jesus Among the Broken is the book. He is Reverend Rick Cole. Website, incarnatebook.com is the best place to go. And then uh, you can you can pick the book up at uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart. Uh, tell me, uh, you know, Rick, as we wrap things up here, the experience of writing the book, not only the experience of being homeless, but then you had to go digest it all and produce it yeah. on the paper. How was that for you?
0: You know, I connected with a journalist and met with him, brought him here to our community. I got in my car with a couple of my friends that walked with me through this. We drove downtown to the sites. I started explaining my story and, you know, going through my notes of the things that I've experienced. And I partnered with a journalist who had the expertise to outline the story and worked with him. So that was really what helped me. I'd been asked to write the story ever since uh, I walked in it, probably about six or seven years ago. And finally, it was actually last year during COVID. I felt like I've got some white space here I need to use. And uh, just reliving the story, talking it through, and spending days with a a journalist that had this skill, then we together uh, wrote through uh, the story until it you know, got down on paper and I, I really feel great about it. I feel like it's totally uh, a story driven message. It's, it's not a bunch of preaching in it. It really is just explaining life from the experiences that I've had. And it addresses some other issues It addresses some of the racial challenges that we have. We were going through last summer. It addresses even some of the COVID issues and just trying to find ways that we can, find a, a harmony instead of division that it really feels like that's a big part of the message in the book
1: rick i gotta run thank you so much for yeah. uh, sharing your message and for your experience and uh, again uh, folks at facebook at rev rick cole or just search on rick cole thank you so much sir yeah
0: thank you great Appreciate to talk it. to you
1: today we've got to get a commercial break in and uh, news at the top of the hour thanks for listening Thanks to uh, Joe Shoney for sponsoring this program. Joe Shoney is a loan consultant who cares about you. Give him a call today at 435 590 NMLS 121041.